content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan. And we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. It really matters. I know. It does. You know what else matters? Tell me. Being really thoughtful and data-driven about how we teach skills and behaviors. Absolutely. It's it's the gold standard. <laughs> well, it is. But also just, you know, I think behavior can sound so easy to people when we talk about positive reinforcement and we talk about prompting and we talk about, you know, the things that we talk about. And it sounds so like logical and common sense and easy. And then you and I go into classrooms and we see stuff, behaviors that aren't easy. Right. And, you know, people will say, well, I tried a positive reinforcer. I tried this. I tried that. And I think that it requires a little more systematization than just throwing things at the, not not literally throwing things, but, you know. Yeah. Trying these things that sound so easy because they do sound easy, but they can be much more challenging. Yeah. You know, if you don't think it out. Yeah. So, go ahead. We've talked about it being a science and an art. You know, there, here's the science of it. And the art okay. of it is deciding the strategies that you're going to apply and, and exactly to what intensity and all of that stuff. It's so yeah. interesting because I'm seeing a doctor to help me with my back. And he was saying, you know, I might not do everything like other doctors that work on your back, but it is so individualized. And I said, well, you know, in special education, the student can become the one in a number, you know, in a study, so to speak, where you're looking at the strategies you've applied to that student and their reaction changes it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's like that. And and I said something to him about it's a science and an art, what you do. You know what the science says, but there is an artful way of administering that science. There is an artful way. And you and I know, and he's been on a guest on our show, Chad, who is really an artist when it comes to truly behavior and teaching behavior. And I was with him the other day. Sissy, you you know, we've both been doing this a really long time, right? Yeah. And one of the things that comes up a lot is, have you tried headphones for kids who are auditorily distracted or hypersensitivities? And often when we say, have you tried headphones? No, he won't wear them. You want to go, well, I know because he has autism and he probably doesn't like things on his head, but we can try different things. And I have always suggested that people use things like strategies like, you know, well, I had a parent one time who started out, she was kind of a prisoner in her own home. She couldn't go anywhere because the kid was so, you know, auditorily sensitive, not even like a stop and go. And so she started out with just like a ski headband, you know, that goes around your ears, like a yeah, ear yeah. and started that. She allowed him access to his reinforcer. I think it was Legos as long as he kept that on his head. And she did that for a few days. And actually, let me back up. I, she actually started with a dishcloth on his head. That was what Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Just a little dishcloth, like no pressure. And then she moved to the ski headband. And then she moved to, I think, one of her husband's baseball caps or, or a, ba- no, a baseball cap that fit him. 
And then she moved to those cheapo little styrofoam headphones that you wear. You know, you used to get them on airlines back in the day. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it took her a long time, but she eventually got him to tolerate uh, noise canceling headphones or something similar. And she could take him to Walgreens. And it was like the biggest thing in her whole wide world because it had totally opened up. And I always thought that was such a fabulous idea, starting with the, you know, the amount of pressure. And then. Yeah. Yeah. I love parents. I mean, parents. I mean, yeah, because they're living it 24-7. And, you know, maybe they don't have all the training in the world, but they know their kiddo. And they are like, how, where am I going with this? You know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And it is true. Right. She's just an amazing mom. And then, you know, when I think about headphones, I always think about how sometimes we'll recommend, like, you know, have them put them on his head for her head for five seconds and reinforce and then 10 seconds and reinforce and then yeah. gradually yeah. time. But Mr. Chatterino gave me this idea the other day that I was so mad at myself for not thinking of it. So he has, we have a student who wouldn't wear headphones and he goes, you know what I usually do? He goes, I used to, I used to take the headphones and play music really loud, but set it like a couple of feet away from the kid or music or a preferred yeah. Sound, yeah. whatever videos or whatever. And then as they get closer to the headphones to listen to it, I would turn down the volume. So they have to get closer and keep turning down the volume. So they have to get closer until eventually they'll pick up the headphones, put it to their ear to hear the. I was like, I can't. What? I, I am so mad that I have never thought of this in all of these. I, that's amazing. You were truly, I don't think. I don't think I've ever used that strategy either. And that is an amazing idea, especially for a student that you know something they enjoy listening to. That Isn't is that smart. It is very smart. It makes me mad. He's a smart guy. He is a smart guy. So so then, you know, school started now. And so we're back in classrooms and we're seeing all kinds of fun behaviors. And and when you think about, you know, the thoughtfulness like that, that idea. Yeah. That is required in teaching student behaviors I was thinking about this young lady that I had years ago and she was fun and she had this little quirk and she was a high schooler and she had a little quirk where she would say to she would walk up to you and she would say things like and she'd say it real quietly I'm trying to think of a good one she'd say um say string cheese and you'd go Oh, do you like string cheese? Do you prefer white string cheese or, you know, other string cheese? And she'd go, say string cheese. And if you didn't, or if you said, if you ignored it or you tried to redirect her or you said, goodness forbid, you would say, no, I'm not going to say string cheese. She would get so upset, run away, run to the door, bang her hands on the door, run out of the can, run off the campus. Like it was a huge you know, we talk about earthquake problems. It was an earthquake problem, right? It was a huge, big deal because she did it at home. She did it in the community. She, you know, parents couldn't take her anywhere because she would go up to strangers and say, say curly fries. And they would look at her and turn around. And then she would get really angry in the grocery store and she'd run away. And so I remember working with the staff in the very beginning and they had done a really nice job of putting stop signs on all the doors. Right. So they had a stop sign on the classroom door, stop signs and all the doors outside and everything. And and they said, well, I don't you know, we put these stop signs up, but she's not. She just goes right past them. She just flies right past them. And I said, well, does she, 
stuff sign means? And they were like, well, I think so, you know? And I was like, okay, well, have we taught her that that stop sign means to stop? And they're like, well, we tell her all the time. And, you know, so anyway, it led to a, a program where we ran it where I call it stop walk training, but it's really teaching a student to respond to the word stop. Yeah. And you think about, you know, using it where you're not going to start that at Walmart, right? You're going to start that in the safety yeah. of the classroom. And we were walking with her in the classroom and she liked Tootsie Rolls or she liked, I think it was Tootsie Roll. And so we started walking like I was in front of her walking backward and she was walking, you know, toward me. And so she, when I said, we're walking, we're walking, stop. She kind of had no choice to stop because I was right there. And so then when she stopped, she got a little piece of Tootsie Roll, you know, and we did that for a few minutes. And then we walked shoulder to shoulder, you know, and then we walked with a little bit of proximity, maybe a foot. And anyway, we kept increasing that. And then I'll never forget this is a little girl who, who was self-contained all day. Like she went to the bathroom in the classroom. She didn't go anywhere, no, nowhere because of this issue. And so we're in the classroom and there were three of us. It was the teacher, myself, and the autism specialist. And I was like, well, let's go out in the hall. You know, there's three of us. We're going to be safe. Let's practice this out in the hallway. <laughs> so we have the tootsie rolls and everything. And we walk out and it's like, she's out, she's out, 911, you know, calling over the, the speaker. We're like, it's okay, it's okay. But anyway, and so we gradually, you know, used the tootsie roll and we got to the gym and then we got to the office and then we got to the front door of the school. We didn't go out, of course. And then when she would see the stop sign, of course, we would reinforce her, look, you're stopping, you know, and we held a stop sign, all of those things. But it just goes back to that whole notion of being systematic and thoughtful about right. what we teach. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that what a great prompt for you to be walking backwards in front of her and you stop. She's passed to stop. A wonderful prompt without having to say anything and having the chance to reward her for stopping as you ask her to. Yeah, and we just say, you're walking, you're walking, stop. And so then the, the point was to get to the point where we could be in the hallway or outside and say, you know, sissy, stop. Yeah. Caroline, stop. And she would stop because she would have that conditioned response of every time I stopped before I got a reinforcer. So I'm going to, my brain's going to tell me to stop whether or not I have a tootsie roll with me at the time. And hopefully I'll have tootsie rolls with me at all times. Right. Mm -hmm. I would be having me some tootsie roll with me all the time. If I had a student who was running and I was concerned about their safety for sure. Yeah. But the idea is that, you know, it's not just putting up visual cues, you know, visual cues are great. We always use visual cues and, and teaching kids and using prompting and all of that, but you have to really be thoughtful about, how you do it instead of saying, oh, he won't wear headphones or she won't stop, you know, and self-containing. Yeah. And yeah. I get why they self-contained. It was a huge earthquake safety problem. Yeah. But that's not the real world, right? And she's in high school. So we have to get past those points of just stopping, you know, not not taking it a step further because they, quote, won't do it. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, you know, you said you had to teach them what the visual supports mean. If I went to Japan or, you know, another country where I didn't read the language, there's there are visuals all over the place telling you what to do. But if I don't speak the language, I'm not going to be able to follow those instructions. And so that's basically what we need to do is assume they need to learn that, you know, 
Um, if they're not responding, assume they need to be taught and teach them what it means. Um, it, it just goes back to all these little kindergartners who are coming in and kicking butt and, you know, taking names because not because they're bad, not because their parents don't do their job, not because of any, it's because they haven't learned how to play school. Right. Right. And so many of those, we've said it many times already, so many of our young children spent a significant amount of time at home during the quarantine, which was necessary, but there is a price to be paid for those things not happening. You know, if the only faces they saw were family faces Mm -hmm. because everyone else was wearing masks, that also changes how quickly you speak and respond to spoken language. I mean, it's amazing that that works into our ability to respond. So yeah, we're still playing catch up and that's okay. We can catch up. We will catch up, but how long do you think it's going to be before we're caught up? Oh, I don't know. I'm ready. I'm past ready. I'm like, there's a, I don't know where I've seen that little video where somebody's going on vacation and the person says, I'm already ready. I'm already ready. That's how I feel about being <laughs> caught up with, with uh, what was going on with what we've lost to the quarantine is I'm already ready. You know, I mean, I, you know, like I said, it was something that had to happen to keep everyone safe. And, you know, I, I do wish people would recognize though that, um, we're still playing catch up and our teachers are working very hard to try to help catch up. So 100%. And, you know, I was telling you, I was kind of I was working my presentation for a, a service center and I was looking at this article. It was an editorial in the autism research Institute on challenging behaviors. And it, they, the author was talking about how, you know, aggression toward others, self-injurious behavior and property destruction are you know, earthquake problems, right? And, you know, they were talking about how they get so many inquiries from caregivers and parents talking about disturbing and dangerous and life-threatening behavior. And they looked at their database and they realized that over 2,300 cases had been reported from caregivers and parents. And of those 2,359% of those with autism engaged in one or more of those behaviors, aggression, Mm -hmm. SIB, property destruction. And then there was another article that he referenced that looked at self-injurious behaviors and how of the group that they studied, they did a longitudinal uh, study and they looked at 44% of those people who had self-injurious behaviors continued a decade later. And so these behaviors can be really persistent and lifelong, and that is going to prevent Mm -hmm. them from so many opportunities. So yeah. Yeah. I think we talked a little bit about this before we came on. And I was, you know, the sooner we can help children, uh, you know, take care of that, the the less chance they're going to carry it on into the future. You know, and so many times I think it's communicative. I think that they have accidentally figured out that um, I don't know how to tell you that I want something. So I engage in these behaviors and you will guess until you figure out what I want because you don't want me to hurt myself. And so, but I also do think if it feels a sensory piece also mm-hmm. um, that it's very hard to get rid of those behaviors unless we find a way to meet that sensory need. So those are our two pieces, right? That we're right. all ways talking to teachers about let's get communication in place let's get some 
uh, it needs those sensory regulatory needs that we all learned accidentally. You know, we all figured out what would help us regulate and keep us calm enough to get on an airplane and fly across the country. I think some <laughs> people are reading to needing to reboot that because you see some videos of people on um, airplanes that have not quite figured out the regulation. They haven't practiced airline behavior in a long time. You know, right, right. And, and you know, with these little kinders, it's it's so much easier to get it under control now. Absolutely. When they're a high school student. And the little girl, the young lady who engaged in the say, say, she sits. Yeah, yeah. She had done that forever. But when she was little, it was cute. You know, and oh. she would say, you know, and she wouldn't even say cuss words. But people would like say, she would say, you know, say, S-H-I-T. And the person would go shoot. and But she still got mad. But if yes. she said things like, say, curly fries or say Cheez-Its or say whatever, they would say it. And it was cute because then she'd get all excited. She'd flap her arms and it was precious. And it wasn't precious when she was a high schooler. And that's, you know, that behavior itself of, of telling a person to say something isn't dangerous. But the response to when you don't reinforce her is sure. dangerous. Can be dangerous. And I do wonder, you know, sometimes I wonder if that isn't a self-regulation piece for some kids. Like this is predictable. I say, say curly fries and you say curly fries and that helps me regulate. That helps me remain calm. And so you're not helping me remain calm if you don't say what I exactly what I tell you to say. And again, it's something that we accidentally created. I remember a kid who uh-huh. would say, you're going to get free haircuts. You know, and people thought that was hilarious and laugh about it. And you're like, it's cute now. It's cute now, but it's not going to be cute down the road. Well, and now, I mean, we've, we've told other stories of kids who had very obsessive kinds of words that they couldn't hear or they had to hear. And I want to meet that need. And then I want to help them move along from that need, replace that need, you know, something so that they don't end up having a meltdown over someone not saying curly fries. You know, that's, yeah, there's no dignity to that, you know, and, and it limits where they can go and what they can do. Yeah. 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 Speaking of really smart people, I have another really smart friend. Her name is Heather. And we were talking about the young lady and she had the idea. She was like, man, I wish you would have been, you know, in other words, I wish she had been there because she said, I wonder what would have happened if we let her like hit a Big Mac. Like we had all her favorite Big Mac is a voice output switch. So like if she would say, say curly fries, and then we could direct her to the switch and she could, it, it would say, curly fries, you know, yeah, yeah. So, you have control. You can have this done. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. And then you can put it on her phone and she could have one exact. in and she could hear it anytime she wanted to. Exactly. Oh, exactly. To so right if there. you ever get a kid who's doing that, try that Heather's behavior. It's a great one. Anyway, we have a question. Sure. So the strategies that you and I talked about today are best described as what term? A, differential reinforcement of lower rates of behavior. B, tangible positive reinforcement. C, shaping. D, differential reinforcement of incompatible behaviors. Well, I love me some DR procedures. (laughs) I do. Uh, Because it gives me, you know, differential... Reinforcement gives you the opportunity to reinforce what you're looking for 
and kind of decrease what you're not looking for. And to a degree, there were some of that going uh-huh. on in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tangible reinforcements. You definitely use tangible reinforcement with the stop walk piece. And with the headphones. The oh, that's true. That's true. But I think the best, if I were taking the test, the best answer here, any of those could sound good. And in fact, if I wasn't sure, you know how people that haven't taken the test don't know, but you can type in a justification for your answer. You know, I'm, I'm if I weren't sure about it being the thing that I think that it is, I might say, in this circumstance, she used this, in that circumstance, she used that. But the very best answer, I believe, would be shaping because you basically, in the in the scenarios, they the students were met where they were mm-hmm. and then reinforced for closer and closer approximations to the target behavior. That's exactly right. And I think the key, the couple of keys there, one, knowing where they are now, right? And that's mm-hmm. what all the mm-hmm. initial behavior, like I guess you could call it baseline as well. Like where and where are they now? And then where do you want them to be? So that's your terminal behavior. That's your end goal. I want her to wear him to wear the headphones on his head. I want her to respond to the word stop, blah, blah, blah. And then we have those behaviors that get you from point A to point Z, right? And those are those behaviors, the, the behavioral requirements in the middle, right? So we're not going to go from running out of the classroom in the school to responding to the word stop, we're going to reinforce her for those baby steps, or like you said, approximations along the way. Mm-hmm. So we always have to have our data. How long will he wear headphones? Now, never. We won't even touch, put them to his head. What's our terminal behavior? We want him to wear headphones for however long he needs them during the cafeteria. So our intermediate behaviors are going to be getting from point A to just listening to headphones from a few feet away to listening to headphones a foot away to inches away to up to your ear. And then eventually terminal behavior is on your head. So again, it's that thoughtfulness. It's that systematization of applying these behavioral principles beyond the obvious, beyond the common sense. Well, we'll just reinforce behavior. It has to be really well thought out. So that was my, my thoughts of the week. I love it. And, 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 you know, and it works in our real life, too. It doesn't have to be quite as systematized for our typically developing kids. You know, again, you see it when a baseball coach is teaching a kid how to bat or how to catch or whatever. They're shaping that behavior, but it they don't necessarily need to have a titsy roll with them while they're doing it. And it, they don't have to think about the teeny tiny little steps. But um, frequently, particularly for something as critical as stopping when someone asks you to stop. For sure. Thank you you for that question and the stories. (laughs) Well, thanks everybody for listening. And we know and hope that you really enjoyed Brennan last two weeks. And these next two weeks, we have an amazing psychologist coming up that you're going to learn so much from. So who you're going to learn so much from. So as always, have a great weekend. We'll talk with you next week. Bye. We'll be back. Bye.